Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the new year. We are the pleasure of the text. Oh my god, I f***ed that up. Um, See, it's hard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good morning, everyone, and welcome the pleasure. Of the, well, good morning, everyone, a, and welcome yeah. to the. What was that? Uh, sorry. Now okay. you're ready. Okay. Take four. Take four. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pleasure of the Text podcast, a shared imaginative space where readers and writers make meaning together. We're your hosts, Shannon and Gareth. Good morning, Shannon. Happy New Year. It's uh, it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. And for everyone who is watching today on our YouTube channel, we have a special guest on. And for those who are just podcasting, he's very attractive. So definitely jump over to the YouTube channel. This is our very good friend and fellow writer, Patrick. How are you today, Patrick? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Shannon? Really good. Um, I just want people to know that you are actually my housemate and you are downstairs and I'm upstairs where I belong. And today we are, what are we talking about? We're talking about today because this is our first podcast for the year. We wanted to kind of kick it off with reading goals, writing goals, and what you can do to achieve those resolutions for the year. Um, And so we wanted to bring Patrick along today because we've got three different writers in three very different situations. I have a full-time job. The government would collapse without me is how I like to think it going. Patrick has uh, a lot of more freedom than I do. And Gareth, did you want to talk about your situation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, although I, I feel like we jumped off Patrick really fast there. Patrick has more freedom than you. I'm do. Not, yeah, I'm You're the most important, Gareth. <laughs> uh, well, obviously that's why I'm coming in last, but, uh, Patrick, you're, uh, <laughs> you've just finished the first draft of, uh, a novel, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. It was uh, quite the endeavor. Holy moly. I think it was something that took me the better part of, I want to say three years, Mm -hmm. uh, because at that moment I was working full-time, like full-time, but as a casual employee. So I think I was doing 33 hours a week and then trying to write outside of that on my days off and slowly but surely chipped away at it. And then two years, three years later, now here I am with finally having finished it and starting the whole revision and then second draft process. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and what is your, what, what is your work situation, Patrick? I mean, I, I hear a foreign accent, so obviously <laughs> as an Australian, uh, I'm worried about, working. you know, what's the job situation here? Are you part-time? Are you casual? Uh, not working right now. Between no, jobs, excellent, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Refugee <laughs> status. Um, so I think I, I would definitely, well, it's, it's definitely unemployed, but I, or excuse me, no buts. And, and I had planned to take off quite a bit of time so that I could actually focus on writings and really allowing myself the time to invest into that thing that I've been wanting to invest into, which was having those hours and days and months to write. Um, and this was something that I wanted to do like pre COVID and I had planned to do it around that time that COVID started and then COVID began. So I, (laughs) uh, yeah, that it kind of took a back burner where instead of me being able to focus what I wanted to be working on, focus on what I wanted to be working on. It was stressing out about um, all that stuff that was very easy to stress out about during COVID. Um, And so now I think after, I think after feeling settled, after having a couple of big changes in my life happen, I told myself, all right, well, now's the perfect time to do it. And Let's give myself that kind of thing that I'd always been wanting to have. And so now here I am unemployed and writing as much as I want to and can. 
Uh, you mentioned that you wrote a manuscript or your first draft in three years, but I'm pretty sure in between that you also wrote a whole draft for another novel, and that only uh, took you how long? Uh, oh, okay. So that one. So I've. Oh, what did I do? I wrote a. I wrote a first draft for another novel, and I think that took me. Oh man, I want to say in the seven to eight month period perhaps maybe actually maybe a little bit less than that because it was the outline um structuring it and plotting it out and kind of writing down where i wanted the story to go the implications almost like asking myself questions and then responding to how i would want the story to go and i think after that it made that actual first draft so much easier so it took out a lot of the guesswork for me um because I think for me, what happens is I will start to procrastinate if I don't know how I want that story to go. And my procrastination kind of couples with the perfectionism that I have. So I just get locked in this. I'm procrastinating because I want it to be perfect, but I don't know where it's going. So I'm procrastinating because I want it to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the perfect is the enemy of the good, right? Always. Always. And I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned having started to even broach the subject of getting into revisions and second drafts and really understanding what goes into it, especially with some of the conversations that I've had with you, Gareth, as well, where it's the first draft is not meant to be perfect. The, the, rough, the first draft is meant to be like a canvas where you're literally just throwing paint wherever you want it to go. You're trying to make sense of it. And then from that, you're distilling the gold nuggets and string those together to really understand what it is that you're trying to say in the first place. So it's almost like magnifying glass from the first draft to the second draft, another magnifying glass to the third draft. And you're really trying to highlight what it is that you were trying to say all along. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we call it the inspired draft, the first draft, the draft of the unconscious. And, uh, and the unconscious is always ahead of the conscious. So, you know, uh, whatever you imagine you're doing, your unconscious knows better. It's not telling you, uh, what's going on. And, uh, and then at the end of your first draft, you get to read the book and go, this is not what I had in mind at all. And, uh, and work through it and try and bring your conscious mind up to speed, which is a really fun process. It is a very interesting process because I've never, I don't think I've gotten to a point before where I've had to do this kind of thing. And I think that always couples in apprehension for me, especially just because it's something that I've never engaged with. So one, I don't know if I'm doing it right. And then two, I think I've always had something about not doing something correctly the first time around. And that's been one of the biggest things for me in this process where it's just let go of it. You're embarking on something new, which is exciting, scary, fun. Um, a little bit often sometimes can be, um, I won't say deterring, I'll say it's it's a little bit um, – hmm. I'll say it's more like a little bit enlightening because you actually see where those inconsistencies are in the story. And I know that previous, that always scared me because I'm like, oh, now I have to rewrite the entire thing all over again. Ah, why? Um, but I think really embracing it and going – it's just showing you how the story can be better. And that's what I think deep down I want to be able to do is to tell really good stories that people are going to enjoy reading. Um, as much fun as I had, or as much as I had enjoyment from writing it. And it usually comes back down to, did I enjoy writing this? And did I enjoy making this story the best that it possibly could be given where I was at in my skills and um, who I was able to kind of like bring into it? Because that's been another thing. It's like 
none of this happens solely on your own. There's so many conversations that I've had with both of you guys that have shaped the trajectory of each story that I've written from the moment that I, I think I first was introduced to you both. And it's crazy to see how much it changes over those periods of just something, something as simple as like, Hey, have you thought about this? Hey, have you thought about that? And it completely shifts where that story was going to something even better. So it's very much like a collaborative process. So that's been a really big, a really big thing as well. Yeah. I mean, this collaboration, I mean, well, Shannon, isn't, isn't like our, our byline, something about reading and writing aren't lonely pursuits. Am I, oh, am yeah. I close so, with that? Yeah, there you go. So, so there's our mission statement right there. But of course you are collaborating with yourself. If indeed one's unconscious is, is doing its own thing, uh, then of course you are collaborating with it as well. And you do find, I mean, when you read a book, you are collaborating with the text. You are making meaning with the text. Uh, it isn't just making the meaning for you and you're not doing it on your own. Uh, if you are, you're reading wrong and you actually have to see what's in the book. But, uh, yeah, it's always a collaborative process. And when you go through drafts, you feel like earlier versions of yourself are collaborating with you now, maybe getting in your way, getting a bit precious about certain lines and so forth. Yeah, so, okay, so so Shannon has been, uh, as I understand it, you know, writing – and reading madly around the edges of her job. Uh, and, and, and Patrick's uh, got a patron, I guess, in the lady upstairs and is, um, is making fantastic progress as he transitions from first to second draft. My situation's been complicated in that uh, I have brain fog, which, you know, all the kids are talking about it. Uh, apparently, you know, uh, anyone can get it and I've got it and I've had it for, I, I don't know if our listeners have noticed a, a sort of a, uh, a shift in my performance as a speaker and, uh, teller of tales, but, uh, brain fog is interesting. So I got it, uh, about this time last year, uh, just popped out of nowhere and, um, it, it affects your, your memory, your concentration, and basically all those bits of your executive function that allow you to write. Uh, and so it's kind of like super writer's block in a way. Uh, and certainly I remember uh, Shannon and I did an episode on writer's block uh, where we concluded it wasn't a thing, and I stand by that, but brain fog is a little bit different. Uh, and so, yeah. You know, there's lots of things apparently you can try. Uh, and certainly uh, I've tried many, many things. But, you know, like, like with anything, uh, this too shall pass. But this has really affected my ability to write. It's also affected my ability to read and to be coherent on camera and make make sentences that make sense. Uh, so, so, yeah, this, this, uh, this, these are our three situations. They're all quite distinct and uh, and we're going to talk about reading and writing resolutions. Uh, so that should be very interesting, I think, because we are in very different spaces. Uh, but yeah, uh, well, as given for your her situation, upstairs, Gareth. <laughs> well, I'm bringing it back down to you. Uh, given your situation, Gareth, what resolutions do you have for reading and writing? Because I suppose for you, it's also about managing expectations yeah yeah it, it is uh it's you know when when sort of looking at the writing i was doing before i got hit by the brain fog it does seem like a, a mystical thing i think how did i do that that looks that looks incredible uh and so yeah no i'm you know i'm not where i was um and whilst that's being addressed by a team of specialists and brain scanners and so forth, uh, you know, I, I've still got to live my life, right? I've got to, you know, uh, show up for these podcasts with my glasses the right way up and make sure my words are coming out. And that's just about manageable. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, obviously writing is, is hugely challenging. So how, how does one resolve uh, to get some 
uh, outcomes. I have been thinking about it quite a bit. Um, and I think what I've come down, so, so basically my resolution is I would like to be reading and writing more, uh, or I resolve to read and write more, but how am I going to do it? Uh, there's been a few things that have uh, occurred to me. One is that I, um, I'm able to songwrite for some reason, uh, which is to say, uh, I can write the music, which, which I assume uses quite a different part of my brain. Uh, but I can also write lyrics. Uh, now I assume that one of the reasons why I can write lyrics is the, the number of constraints. Uh, you know, you have metrical constraints and uh, songs have to, besides making sense uh, on some sort of emotional level, you you do have to kind of, uh, I suppose, tailor songs to who you imagine the audience might be across, like, you know, creating a consistent body of work, which, you know, I'm an album person. I'm old enough to be an album person. I don't really understand singles. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, when I'm putting together songs, they're speaking to each other. And so there's a whole series of constraints uh, and so whilst I'm not prolific as a lyric writer, I am able to write lyrics in a way that I can't write free form uh, prose. So one thing I was thinking of doing was getting out my Ulipo book and trying to create arbitrary constraints for myself when I'm writing free form prose to see if that doesn't help me uh, get some of it out. Uh th- the second thing that I thought of was that I mean, reading and, and writing are very complementary pursuits. Uh, and so another thought I had was to really work on my reading while looking up, uh, which is to say reading a book, stopping, working out in my mind where it's going in the next few pages and seeing if I can accurately hit that. Uh, and certainly in terms of brain fog, it doesn't seem to affect your critical thinking skills particularly, uh, except for the fact that uh, you can forget the very clever things you were thinking 30 seconds ago. But nevertheless, with a, a pen and paper, I, I was going to do a bit of reading while looking up. Reading while looking up uh, is very close to what you're doing when you're writing. Uh, there's there's a little bit uh, there's a little bit less agency in it because you're not uh, going where am I going next you're you're saying where is this going next but can you clarify what reading while looking up is uh, yeah so basically uh, the, the the phrase you know as as you know I'm a great fan of Roland Barthes and the phrase came from him and it was essentially the idea that when you're reading a book. Uh, there are times when you place the book down and it continues in your mind. Uh, you're inspired by it. You, there's a whole play of, of uh, lexical information and, and uh, signifiers and thematic things and symbolism. And, and essentially you, you find yourself being carried along of the wave of the book even when you've stepped out of it. Uh, and, and if you do this consciously if you start really immersing yourself in what you're reading and looking at its, uh, say its symbolic structure or its semantic structure or its uh, um, framework of references and so forth, you can find that you can begin to predict quite, quite accurately where stories are going. Uh, I think it is possible to be able to define the general sweep and ending of a novel from its first chapter. I think you can do that. It's a lot of work, but I think you can. Um, so, so that's a good thing to do. It's a great thing to do when giving people feedback because you really become a genuine collaborator um, uh, because you're essentially the, 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 uh, the barrier between reading and writing begins to be broken down. And, uh, and so yeah, it's a, it's a great thing for feedback, but it's also a great thing for sort of stepping between reading and writing. We do it. We all do it all the time. I, I think people generally aren't aware of it, uh, but you are reading predictively 
um, at least some of the time. You, you know, we, we make meaning, we piece things together, those things begin to form a structure. Uh, so, so doing a bit of that, I was thinking might be quite helpful to me. Uh, so in essentially, uh, what, what I'm suggesting is I'll be reading a, a short story and then I'll try writing the ending of it, uh, and see how close I get. Uh, so, so basically I guess trying to increase, uh, because the way the brain works is fascinating. I downloaded, uh, some really interesting peer reviewed neurological studies, uh, but I kept forgetting what they said. Uh, so I've, I've thrown those out, but the general gist is that, um, you know, reading and writing are not innate things. Uh, they're not like our speech centers. We don't communicate, uh, innately through reading and writing. They're, they're sort of a, a different part of our brain that we activate. Uh, but, but the, I guess the, the matrix of all these different things, like for example, reading aloud and hearing something and, and how you interpret that when you're also reading it. Uh, it's interesting when you work with those things, you see there's crossover and there are disconnects. So what I'm hoping to do is build a bridge between my reading and writing brain, because I'm far more capable of reading than I am of writing. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to do. And the final thing I, I came up with, number three, folks. So if you've got uh, if you've got brain fog, you've already forgotten the first two things I've said. I know I have. But the final one is handwriting. Handwriting is an interesting thing. Uh, again, it uses a different part of our brain, uh, sort of a, a, a part of our brain that um, deals with symbol recognition, which is obviously uh, a very visual thing. And there was a far more cogent argument behind this, but again, it's lost. But the essential idea is that when we type and when we look at printed text, we are engaging with it in a different way to when we read uh, handwritten text and when we write handwritten text. So, and that, that bit of our brain is a little bit more innate than with the, uh, the printed word. Uh, so the hand printed word is a winner. Uh, so, so my other thing I was going to do was really get into handwriting, just staying away from computers for, for that sort of thing and really focusing on handwriting as a specific thing. It's also much quicker. Uh, and because, uh, one of the, one of the joyful things of brain fog is you have about 10 to 15 seconds before what you've been saying is gone. Uh, yeah, you, you basically, you need to get it down fast and typing doesn't always work that way. You make typos, you go, oh, hang on, delete, delete, delete. What does that mean? I've got no idea what that said. And so it is. So with handwriting, you just go for it. So, yeah, so basically I'm going to be sitting in a chair, reading a book, doing a bit of uh, reading while looking up, predictive feedback style responses and then seeing if that will lead me into a little bit of handwriting of the story that I sort of was working on in 2022 before things went awry. So that's my story. And thoughts? I know a couple of authors that um, do the do their writing by hand and the author that's coming to mind is Neil Gaiman and I remember listening to a podcast with him and Tim Ferriss and they were talking about um, fountain pens and the perfect fountain pen for writing for it to be smooth. There's no scratching. It just runs off the page. Is that something that you're going to be investing in Gareth or it's just going to be the pencil and paper? Yeah. I see. See what I think will happen is I'll go, okay, so I need the perfect fountain pen. This will begin a mission in, in February this year that may not be resolved until October. Uh, so I, I, I fear getting down that <laughs> rabbit hole. I think I'll, I, I do have a couple of nice pens. I actually, is a, uh, I don't know what the brand is, but it's the Killer Metrico. It's a really cheap, cheap pen. Uh, but the whole Killer Metrico thing is, you know, you could write a kilometer, uh, with this, with the ink and they oh, cool. are, they are very reliable and not scratchy. Uh, 
wish I could remember the brand, but Kilometrico, you'll be able to find it. I mean, what a word. Uh, and I do recommend you them. You just if- missed a sponsorship opportunity, Gareth. <laughs> <laughs> so ashamed. Yeah. And I also have a very expensive <laughs> writing pen that I got from a bookstore. Glee Books, actually. Glee Books, folks. Great uh, bookstore in Glebe in New South Wales. Uh, and yeah, there was a pen there that I thought, now that looks like the sort of pen someone would write something good with. So I bought it. It was quite expensive. And then I found out the little cartridges are even worse. So I have that as well. So probably between those two. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But that's that's my plan. Mm. And I guess we should do updates yeah. in like six months' time. That's not a bad idea. And in terms of reading... Would you count like listening to audio books a like for like? No, no, they're not. I mean, it really does use a different part of your brain. I, I love audio books. Uh, I just don't think they are the same as as reading. I th- you know, I think they're perfectly valid pursuits, and I do have an Audible account and enjoy listening to books books on tape, um, but. But, yeah, it does seem to use a different part of your brain, I think. Uh, so I wouldn't count that. I actually don't know. I know you've read a lot of books last year, Shannon. I have no idea how many books I read. Uh, although I do have a book club. <laughs> and we have, we have been doing book reviews. The ones that, w- yeah. So, so you would have at least I mean, read seven well, through us. I'd at least be past 20. Uh, which is, you know, for me, that's a really bad year, but what are you going to do? When I was a young and handsome man. What's a good year for you? Two a week was my standard, so I'd always crack 100. That's, that's like, not really on the table at the moment. Oh, my God. Uh, But, well, this is why I seem well-read, because I used to be. Uh, Now I'm not so (laughs) (laughs) well-read. But, yeah. Yeah, no, I'd always use... I wasn't even aiming, actually. I never really thought about it. But two books a week was pretty standard for me for a long time. Um, yeah, unless it was, you know. A question to both of you, when do you guys find the time to read? Because I suppose if we're building this into our resolutions, it's about finding the time. That's the biggest concern a lot of people have. When do you read? Where do you read? Mm. How do you read, maybe? Well, I think that would be great for you to answer that, Shannon, because you – like given now working full-time job kind of thing, I would be interested in knowing how you scoot that in. Oh yeah. And your, your number was 41. Wasn't <laughs> it? I heard that 41 books last year. It was 41 books last year. And the reason I laugh is because, you know, when people joke about going to the toilet and scrolling Yes. I find a prime time for me when I'm sick of working is I go to the toilet and I just read on my book and I kind of like time it. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe 10 minutes is reasonable. They're thinking I'm having a bad stomach day or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I don't have the issue of only reading one book at one time. I can read about two to three to four. So I have one going on my phone. I listen to an audio book on the way to work and then I also have a physical book, probably one or two physical books. I read fiction. That's my my main and only love essentially, but I also read uh, personal development books and self-help books. I, ha- I hate the word self-help, but personal development books. Um, the latest one we read, I think, Patrick, was The Psychology of Money, a uh, very good book. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we have uh, a coffee table which is littered with books. So, and then maybe could I say almost every surface in our house has a book on it. So they're all. It's like having the fruit bowl on the kitchen table. It's just easy to grab. It's easy to engage with. Um, mm-hmm. So we're definitely a a writerly and readerly household. Uh, <laughs> Luke, my partner, has even started reading and now he walks around the house and he's like, oh, you used to be the reader, Shannon. Now it's me. I just love reading. Every spare moment I'm reading. <laughs> and he asked me to recommend a book to him and it was um, The Sound of the Wind. Is that the name, Patrick, by Patrick Roth? Oh, the name anyway, of the wind? Yeah, The Name of the Wind. Um, I think it took him... 
20% through to get into it and now he can't put it down. He's like, oh, this is the best book recommendation, blah, blah, blah. I heard it from someone else. I was like, hang on, buddy. I recommended that book. Anyway, <laughs> so that's what's happening. <laughs> um, I have definitely felt um, a slowing down in terms of reading because last year I started working in September. So I had, I was wonderfully unemployable, I thought, until I was employed. Uh, so I had a lot of time to read, but now I don't. And I think I saw a meme the other day, finding the time to work on yourself, to make healthy meals, to exercise, spend time in your relationships, to go out and spend time with friends while working a fulfilling career and all this stuff while trying to write as well. It's really difficult. Um, so I understand why people sometimes struggle to kind of, first identify what they really value and then putting it into place to make sure it is an actual priority in your calendar and getting it done. Because at the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is sit down and write. Therefore, I have to manage that in the wee hours of the morning. I remember when I wrote my first draft, my manuscript of my young adult fiction, which I'm reworking now, I wrote 50,000 words in a month. And to do that, I essentially had to trick myself. I would, my alarm would go off, I'd roll out of bed, I would make one of those shitty powder coffees, um, <laughs> not instant coffee, but you know the sachet ones? I think Nestle is one of the biggest brands. Oh, there goes an It was disgusting, but that was my little, <laughs> we don't want Nestle in it, come on guys. Um, and then just kind of sip that and be like, oh, I'm writing and working, but I'm here. I think showing up is a huge factor in getting this stuff done. So what are your uh, what are your resolutions specifically Shannon for 2024? Well, I had so many resolutions last year which didn't come to fruition, but that's okay because I'm still young. Um, <laughs> I I'm in the middle of finishing off a, a short story collection, which I will probably self-publish, and I want to get that done. And I want to submit some of those short stories to literary journals. I know the Australian Book Review has the Elizabeth Jolly short story competition coming up, and I think that's due end of April for everyone who is also thinking of submitting. They also accept international submissions, so go out there and just see how you go. And then I wanted to, Patrick and I, we started it. We're going to recommit to it uh, every week. No, every two weeks we were going to review because we're kind of in a similar stages of our first draft, second draft processes. Uh, we we're going to do a draft with a synopsis and give feedback and then continue that for each chapter for every fortnight of the year. And then essentially if it all goes well by the end of the year, you should have uh, a more tidy draft ready to give to our um, our book group, uh, the our writing group, and mm. so we can do like an actual uh, structural edit. So that yeah, are my goals. That sounds good. I, I particularly like the specificity of the fortnightly uh, of the fortnightly synopsis and completed draft chapter draft. What about, uh, so 41 books, you know, it's impressive in some circles. Others might say, you know, you could be doing more. Um, are you going to, are you going to, uh, are you going to try and get to 50, 52, perhaps one a week? Uh, any, any kind of resolutions around, um, reading or the types of things you read perhaps? Any recommendations I get from you in terms of books that will help my writing always go to the top of the list because um, that's part of me developing my skill set. I find because there is a not, I want to say a small barrier, but the barrier between reading and writing is so small, I want to make sure that I'm reading good quality books that will help me with my writing. Uh, Patrick was saying, you were saying the other day, Patrick, that what you read hugely influences the way you write. Um, and I've seen that with my short stories. I wrote a short story where I was reading um, uh, 
Murakami and Your Girl Gawa, and then I wrote a Japanese short story, and it was very the style. This was heavily influenced by those authors, and I want to say the number forty-one is not a very good indicator of books because we've just I just finished reading Our Share of Night, which is a book that we're going to do our book review on in a fortnight's time. But that's nine hundred pages and then I'm reading Tamush now and that's hundred and twenty pages. I don't think the number of book is a very indicative of how much you are reading. But depending on the length of the book, I do want to keep it to about one to one point five a week. That is a tremendous point, actually. There's probably a much better measure uh, because, yeah, you know, I'm I'm very much of the view that uh, that literature is more nourishing. It is the uh, Buddha bowl Buddha bowl of um, of books, and, uh, oh, and the mass market now, books Garrett. are kind of like <laughs> double quarter pounders, aren't they? Sorry, McDonald's. God, we're losing a lot of endorsements today. Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah no i think there is a difference i mean there's quite a lot of science behind the fact that there is a difference and and that it it deals with um uh connotive uh sophistication that's right connoted sophistication or um but basically the sense the the sense of depth and 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 a quite a challenging like a uh, Elaine uh, Rob Grillet's books are short, uh, but brain crushing, and really, you know, great to read. Like once you get into the rhythm of them, but they're short. Uh, they take forever to read, though. They're hard. They're hard books, hard and rewarding, like running up a hill. Uh, and obviously, um, you know, an airport novel uh, will be very formulaic, extremely predictable, uh, in the same way that a McDonald's burger is. You know what you're going to get. It's not going to be good for you, but you know exactly what it's going to taste like and, uh, <laughs> and how thin it's going to be and not like the picture. Um, and, and so, yeah, and, but, and you get through it really fast. You eat a McDonald's burger and you're like, well, I haven't eaten anything at all, have I? It feels like air. Uh, and that's, I think, you know, the nature of the airport novel. Uh, and, and again, there is a lot of science behind that and, and the fact that you, you develop empathy and, uh, and imaginative sophistication through reading challenging fictional work. Um, I think that's, that's, that's been borne out over the course of this podcast, I think. We've had a lot of discussions around this sort of thing and experiences. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Um, hmm. And one of the books I've already read this year, uh, Sean, who's also been on the podcast, uh, we called up on Friday, no, Wednesday night, and we geeked out about it. Um, that was also a really fat book, about 900 words, but she blitzed through it in a weekend. I blitzed through it in um, maybe five days while traveling in Tasmania. It was a, another one of those, oh, I need to go to the toilet. I dreamed, ducked off to the toilet for my 10-minute poop. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was really quick to read, um, very different to Our Share of Night and of some of the other books that I've engaged with. And I think personal development books, unless you're doing the exercises, they can take a bit longer as well. Or if you're not, you can just go through, oh, I already know all this stuff, but my life's still the same. Um, <laughs> depends on how much you engage with those. And, I mean, I've talked about my resolutions both writing and reading. What about yours, Patrick? Because I know we kind of missed you in that mm-hmm. conversation. Um, my resolutions. I've always had a hard time with resolutions because it definitely ties into my perfectionism where I will get very easily deterred if I do not fully meet those things. And I think at the start of any new year, I don't know if it's just like an American thing But New Year's resolutions are huge. And it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's a new year. It's a new me. I'm going to do all these things. And then you get to like month two and you've maybe checked half of that first box that you've intended while you have this gigantic list of just 20 to 40 different things that you're trying to change. Um, So I think if anything, I've 
kind of curtailed the way that I use goals where I will ideally set it as a target to aim for, not necessarily something that I need to strike with an arrow. But I'm doing my best to kind of move towards that in a digestible way. And I'm setting a smaller number of those things. But in that process, I feel like I'm able to tackle more of them, if that makes sense. So it's not necessarily like kind of like what you're saying. It's not necessarily the amount that I'm going for. It's the fine tuning of what is it that I'm really trying to focus and hone in on. And what is it that I really want to see change. And also I think the biggest thing that I've had to realize is um, making those changes takes, takes a substantial amount of time uh, more so than I think we realize, but I don't use that. I don't see that as a reason to not go for those goals that I have. If anything, I use it as a way to kind of manage that perfectionism where it's like, this should change now. I should be doing this right now. Why am I not doing this? Why is this not where I want it to be in terms of reading, writing, fitness, any of it really? And I think I use that as a barometer because it's really easy to get lost in that fantasy of I should be here. Why am I not there? But then if you're focused on that, you've missed all this progress that you've made up until that point. So even if you get halfway through, I'm going to try and write a book in this year and you want it to be 60,000 words, but you only get to like 35,000 words that year or just as an example. Um, I think it's really easy to say I didn't even I didn't get 60,000 words when the reality is that person wrote 35,000 words and that's more than writing zero. So I think it always starts as like a little raindrop that then starts to kind of chip away at that landslide, so to speak. Yeah, and also there's a I question think that of is richness. a fantastic point. Mm. Sorry, Shannon, what did you say? Basically the same as you, Gareth. I was saying I liked your analogy, Patrick, where you talked about the arrow hitting the bullseye essentially, but if your arrow is going in that direction, um, so your aim was 60,000 words, for a full novel, but you're halfway through a novel. I think we shouldn't get caught up in the arbitrariness of a deadline. Um, I mean, deadlines are good depending on who you are, but if it is helping you get on the right track, that on the right right road for you to get where you want to go, essentially, you're it's that's perfect. That's what you want. Mm, yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, it, it, and it's a question, it is a question of richness. Um, much like, uh, much like with the reading goals, um, you can, you can knock off a heck of a lot of books, but what did you get out of them? And, you know, were they a rich experience? Was there, um, and certainly, you know, I mean, uh, I, there's a, there's a really key point too, which is that, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of academic writing just as a, as a matter of course and because I've, I've done it for a long time. That is not difficult stuff to read. It, it can be full of, of jargon and occasionally difficult ideas, but they're, they all sit on the layer of denoted meaning. So knocking off an academic article is like knocking off an airport novel. So I, I feel that's really important or, or a chapter of an airport novel. I think it's really important to make that point because it's, it's not a question of whether something is a uh, highbrow or, or, or tremendously clever or anything like that. Uh, within fiction, the, what you, what you want is an emotionally enriching experience. I think that would be true for anyone reading anything that's fictive. They, they want to, be sort of moved in various ways um and and in that area i do think literature often often wins out because because it relies very heavily on connotation and connotation is where uh, we find our emotional selves uh so so when when working out a uh, a a reading goal or a writing goal I think you want to aim for maximum richness. Uh, you know, people talk about mindfulness and being present or, you know, we could go back to sucking the marrow out of life. 
uh, or we could say plannings for the poor. Um, uh, we could say lots of things, couldn't we? I, I could just run these off all day. Uh, when Gareth plans, God laughs. So I think planning's like uh, not always a very helpful thing to do, and, and it possibly obscures what is uh, actually important uh, in terms of a person's imaginative and emotional life, which is the degree of richness. So I don't know if there's like a Goodreads metric where you can say, I got this much richness out of my reading this year. And so that equals 4,000 books mm. or, or something like that. But yeah, and it's the same with writing. I mean, you essentially, you shoot the arrow straight up in the air and it will land where it lands, hopefully not, you know, through your head. Uh, and, and then you can start mm. to plot a trajectory after you've shot it in the air and you get a sense of the wind and, and the time and, and the whole mechanics of that first creative movement. I think writing richness is a good point to make because we know authors that can knock out a book from writing to editing to selling in under a year or 18 months. And then if you think about if you are writing to a formula, that's really easy to do. You're like, cool, I have my introduction to the person's world. I have this, I have that, you know, the writing courses that sell online for, I don't know how much, but if you're producing a book to that, what, and back to Patrick's original point when we first started, did you enjoy writing that or were you just doing a mathematical equation, removing numbers into words instead to write a bestseller apparently? Um, and if you're writing with richness, richness, with empathy for your characters or engaging with the setting, the plot and the characters, that takes time. I know a lot of people say sometimes your characters go off on an adventure that you had never planned and then that's your actual novel that gets produced. Um, those engagements take time um, and you shouldn't always just try and stick to these deadlines that you've heard people have been able to produce too. Yeah, I mean the deadlines are about habits. You know, like if you have a daily habit of running to the bathroom uh, four or five times during the working day and getting a novel finished, then that's, you know, that's a useful habit. Uh, and once you've established a habit, that's <laughs> great. But the actual deadlines, they're, they're a means to an end. They're not the end itself. And, I mean, you know, uh, as someone who used to edit books for publication, you get these books, they hit their deadlines all right, but Jesus Christ, like they're a mess. And then somebody else has to fix them up. And, uh, you know, it's all very unrewarding really. And it does actually uh, when, when dealing with writing that is extremely shallow, uh, to the point that it doesn't agree with itself, even like on a basic level of storyline, characters sort of appear in different places uh, and cross timelines that can't possibly occur. Uh, you, it, it is incredibly bad for your own writing. I, I think it's almost brain damaging, frankly. <laughs> and I've certainly, I've edited some books. I'm sorry, folks, they're out there in part because of me. I've edited books that that I think are genuinely brain damaged brain damaging to people i mean look at me now i'm a wreck that's probably because i edited those books <laughs> damn them. uh so yeah so so richness and depth are huge things and planning is is a nice sort of scaffold to get you there uh but and that's why when i said we should do new year's resolutions we should also talk about how we're going to do it because the how is where you start getting a bit of a bit of meat uh, as opposed to a lot of sizzle. And so then what are the habits of writing that you guys are going to put into place this year? Mm. I'm letting Patrick answer first. I think, the, <laughs> I think the, biggest thing, the biggest thing for me that I need to work on is consistency and making something that is achievable like right in that right in that sweet spot of it's not too easy but it's not too hard and only encourages you to keep moving forward with it and that is in and of itself a trial and error process so it's the thing that i need to keep reminding myself is to not be discouraged if i miss the mark on that one and that that is only an indication of 
okay, there's just something that needs to be adjusted so that I can actually sustain a practice that will only allow me to reach the goals that I'm intending to aim for. And it will change month to month sometimes, most likely. It'll change year to year. Uh, I've noticed even within stepping my toes into cultivating a practice or process that will work for me, uh, even from this this time last year, um, it's changed quite a bit from when I initially started kind of engaging in this process. Um, I think I was aiming for like, how would I say it? I think I was aiming for like two hours when I first did this. Uh, but I didn't really have a way of saying, how do I want to achieve that two hours? Is it going to be broken down into 20 minute segments? Am I going to try and knock it all out at once for two hours straight? Uh, will I give myself breaks? What will I do in that? And what seems to work really well, and this was based on a suggestion that Shannon had, had, uh, had given, um, it was, doing 25 minute segments or 20 minute segments with a break time afterwards of like five to 10 minutes. And that seems to work well for me. And then I started playing with, okay, maybe I can go for like 45 minutes and see how I do that. And I think I tried it out for like hours at a time. So I did an hour and then uh, a 10 minute break and then another hour and then a 10 minute break. Um, And then from there, you can even play with building on for like, okay, maybe I'll do like two hours and 20 minutes. Maybe I'll do two hours and 40 minutes after that and just see what works. Um, Because as we engage with this, our energy, our emotions, it'll always be fluctuating. And I think a practice that allows itself to adjust to where that person is at is the kind of thing that will allow someone to remain consistent, which I think is the biggest part of it. Yeah. You don't want to, um, you don't want to underestimate, you don't want to underestimate the, uh, the value of the breaks too, because I would imagine you don't sort of put down the pen and then go, now I'm thinking about other things. Uh, you know, it sort of trails after you. Like a cloud of dust as you mm. go and do thirty push-ups or something, um, and <laughs> or, you know whatever one does, I I, I wouldn't know. Uh, but you know that that reading while looking up idea again. Um, one imagines that when you're actually on break, you're not necessarily entirely on break, but but you are using a different part of your brain at that point, and that could be quite useful. Uh, particularly when you're doing your first draft. I could imagine a very staggered approach of 10 and 5, 10 and 5, or 20 and 10, or, or whatever it is, uh, would actually be quite useful in, in engaging the imagination. Um, for myself, I, uh, I was planning to – got a couple off Shannon here. Uh, one is you do have to show up. And at a certain point when one isn't really getting anywhere – the desire to not show up and maybe just go off and do something else becomes quite powerful. So, uh, yeah. So basically this year I need to show up more if any of this is going to work out for me. The other thing I, and I'm pretty sure I got this from Shannon was atomic habits. I'm pretty sure I I got it. It sounds, it sounds like something she would have talked to me about. Uh, and, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, I, um, I decided I was going to sort of, uh, exercise every day, uh, because I thought it might help the brain fog. It didn't, but it's been good, you know, exercising every day. And, uh, and I've been doing VR boxing, which, which is great because when they start really beating you up, you end up being okay at the end of it. Uh, and so I, I, I think I did six minutes the first time and almost threw up. Uh, and so this, uh, my thing was, I'm just going to exercise for six minutes a day and not throw up. And that's going to be a great achievement for me. But you know, very quickly, I started moving up to 10, then 15, then 20, then 30, then 45, and it just keeps going up and up and up. Uh, and so now, you know, I can sort of say, oh, well, yeah, no, I, I'm boxing for 45 minutes in the mornings, and, and it doesn't sound 
quite as lame as six minutes in the mornings. But it, it was definitely a, a building up process. And I think that's probably something for, for people who find reading difficult, for example, just reading a page of a book uh, and really, really getting into it, just that one page, just for f- five minutes, which is a long mm. time to read one page, but really, really delve into it. And, and listen to the sound of the words and think about the images and, you know, again, richness. Start off with that and before you know it, you'll be running off, you know, off to the bathroom at least once an hour for a quick 10-minute read. And, uh, yeah, and, and I think that's probably a, a, a big thing for anyone who's trying to establish a habit is, is just doing it at all being able to say that it is something you do every day and certainly all the writers that we've um like a margaret atwood who also writes with a pen i believe uh she writes every day uh so and that tends to be a consistent theme with successful writers uh so so there's something in that Mm -hmm. but maybe just for a couple of minutes every day to start with what's been your how do you get to your goal shannon what is it that you've found that works and what have you struggled with? I was just thinking on the struggle then because on the left side of my room, I have a yearly calendar and it's highlighted with, with what I'm doing on a weekend, if I'm going to a conference or uh, I have pre-booked a whole bunch of cheap holidays through Jetstar because they had a two-for-one sale. And for me, Traveling is a passion of mine, but it's not conducive to writing because uh, I leave my world and my characters behind and they're forgotten. And then you have that struggle of re-engaging with them and their concerns when you get back. And so that's always a stall for me. Um, hi, Dory. <laughs> um, so if you want to be a writer, I think you need to identify what the right environment is for you to be able to produce work and to engage in the process. Um, so then that's that part of like trying to navigate these two passions of writing, which requires me to be static and then traveling, which I'm off exploring and doing new things. Because I am working now full time as a spy in the government. No, not really. Um, <laughs> Um, you have to fit everything that you are that is your life in the bookends of your day unfortunately so that means cooking healthy meals being with your partner being with your friends and writing um like I said so when I get home from work it's the last thing I want to do and I just want to shut down my brain or whinge about people at work or that type of stuff so my writing day has to start at night time. I have to make sure that I'm in bed at a particular time so I can get enough sleep so I can wake up at the right time to be ready for my writing time in the morning. Um, so that is about 5.30, 6 o'clock and then I try and write. Uh, I have a lovely partner who cooks my lunch for me to go to work in that time so I have the freedom to do my writing then. Um, and that's the only time. And then on weekends, I built into my environment essentially is, and this is a clue from Atomic Habits, highly recommend the book, is accountability. Building accountability into your journey. So I have you, Gareth. I have you, Patrick. We do our fortnightly catch up. We have the podcast. And we also have our writing group and we have a schedule of that of I know that I have to prepare a piece of work to share at this date. And so that allows me to kind of plan to get that done. Um, So finding your tribe and building the accountability in with them is really a good strategy to do, I think, and it helped me a lot. That's excellent. I like it. It's a very good answer. Yeah. Um, what are you reading right now, Patrick? I'm reading the sequel to Ancillary Justice, which is called Ancillary Sword by Annie. I'm going to mispronounce her name, Annie Leck, uh, or Anne Leck. Um, it's so a lot of I think a lot of 
the reviews really kind of compare her to Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, Interesting. In terms of like an extension of kinds of the topics that uh, Ursula, uh, Ursula Le Guin explored in like the left hand of darkness and all that when it comes to identity, gender, sex, what does that all mean when we have this ability to instantly change that um, via machines, electronics, or um, implants, all these other kinds of ideas. And it's, I found myself, I think she had a really nice balance in the first story where you're getting bits of information as to what this world is like. And she's, you're kind of navigating it along with the character and I find now in this second, I think I, I took a I took a while in between reading this first novel of, and then the second one to the sequel. And I don't know if it's because I'm so not familiar again with the ideas and all the different kind of what you were saying when you take like a step away from writing, where it's like you're trying to get reintroduced to all these different things and ideas and people that you're that you were interacting with. <clears throat> you're trying to get used to those same people again. And I don't know if it's just the thing of that or if it's approached from a different angle that is kind of jarring me to understand again. Um, but I'm going to read it and I'm going to get through it so I can actually stay consistent and do it. <laughs> what is one book that you would recommend to the audience to read this year? Oh, yeah. Way too many good ones. Um, I think it was because of just how pivotal it came or how, when it found me at like a really interesting point in my life, I would definitely say <sighs> 101 essays that will change the way you think by Brianna Weist. And you go. Um, that's an interesting one. I think, uh, I would recommend people read Camus' The Stranger slash The Outsider, but I would recommend they read all, all of the Penguin translations. I think there are three uh, because it is extremely interesting. And, and I would probably do it this way, and here's, here's one for your atomic reading habit. I would suggest you maybe that people maybe read – two to three pages of each of the translations, one after the other, and look for the differences and the similarities as you go and uh, and enjoy it as a chordal form of, no uh, of novel. How's that? It's a chordal form of novel. So we have three different streams of melody or harmonizing with each other in different ways. I think that would be – I think people would really enjoy doing that. I know I would. Um, and and have so that's what i would recommend what about you shannon what, what have you got uh so we are going to be reviewing our share of night by mariana enriquez our, on our next podcast i'm not going to have any spoilers on that book but i love her short stories and i would recommend the dangers of smoking in bed and do you know the title of her other collection of short stories yeah, Gareth? it's uh, Things We Lost in the Fire. Uh, oh, yes, also very good. Yeah. So those would be uh, my two recommendations. Beautiful, dark, very well written. I just love her style. Yeah, she's a really big deal, and, actually. Um, right. I think so too. Uh, I find her writing is the one that I most want to mirror as well as uh, Yoko Agawa's. Mm, they're quite different mm -hmm. too in many ways. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree. I, uh, you could do much, much, much worse than those two as inspirations. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. You could definitely do a lot worse. I feel like we <laughs> could really do trash, some. Because um, I've been traveling. <laughs> I feel like we could do some anti-plugs anti now, just get a few, lose a few more endorsements. Uh, <laughs> while we're at it. <laughs> well, Although. I know we're not ever going to be 
endorsed by Haruki Murakami. (laughs) (laughs) You guys should definitely check out that episode. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, he was really. It's only one person's opinion. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I have noticed actually uh, on YouTube, people do spend a lot of time saying this is just a subjective thing. It's just my opinion. Uh, I'm going to go the other way this year. I'm saying that's not true. Uh, when I say something's rubbish, that becomes an objective fact. How about that? Comment below. See what you think about that. Uh, yeah, I'll fight to the death on any hill, any hill at all. Don't care. Once it's been said, it's the truth. Never backing down. I, I love that meme. It's a picture of the planet Earth. You're the planet before your opinion, exact same photo, the planet after your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, does anyone have anything to say before we wrap up today? Yes. Uh, hopefully, you guys are lovely, and thank you for having me. Today. Well, hopefully, we'll have we'll have you uh, on here thank with you, us Patrick. quite a few more times this year. So, not quite a special guest, more like a recurring guest, which is possible. It sounds like a demotion, but it's 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 a promotion, isn't it? <laughs> um, you lose the specialness, special. but yeah. <laughs> but you have been invited back, which is the main piece of information there. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I'll do this. I'll see if I can get my screen to do the explosions again. Oh, you missed it out, Gareth. <laughs> we were doing stuff and our screen was making pictures at us. Oh, man. But it's not working. It's not out there. As soon as the camera starts well, rolling. Typical. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Patrick. We really enjoyed your time. Thank you for the conversations. I think and I really hope this was a good episode for everyone to kind of figure out their writing resolutions, their reading resolutions. And now that you've got three very different scenarios, take treat it like a buffet. Take what you want and see what you can apply to your own situation. And we look forward look forward to hearing from you in the future. And thank you so much from the pleasure of the text. We'll see you guys all later. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. Thank you.